Welcome, folks, back to another episode of Beer, Brats, and Booyah. Tonight is episode nine. Good evening. My name is Marty Laments, and with me, as always, is co-host and overall Wisconsin sports enthusiast, Tyler Albers. We're coming to you live from the River West neighborhood in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, drinking some Wisconsin beers, uh, about to break down our Wisconsin sports podcast. Tyler, how are you doing this evening? Marty, doing great. Uh, pretty excited about a big Brewers win today. Ooh, Tyler, we missed you, man. We didn't get you on that. But uh, how are you doing again? Mic check. <laughs> <laughs> it's back. Hey, yeah, I'm good. I'm good, Marty. Just happy about a big Brewers win today. Yeah, we really needed a, another win tonight for uh, the sweep. So. A uh, nice afternoon win in Cincinnati for the Milwaukee Brewers. But before we get to the Brewer baseball talk, we uh, wanted to start talking about the Wisconsin Badgers. Uh, the end of their season this year didn't go the way we wanted. First round departure after a disappointing loss in the first round. Um, I don't even remember who we played. Who did we play? Oregon? Oregon. They were the only Cinderella-ish kind of team that actually made it to the Sweet 16. Yeah, so not a great, great loss for the program. Um, Ethan Happ going out a loser in his first first round. Um, it's a real shame, but not his fault. Uh, no one could shoot in that game. So um, I don't know. It's just the way it goes. It seems like we're having some mic issues with, uh, with Tyler, so I'm going to uh, disconnect with him, and we'll try it again later. But before we uh, move on, and try and figure that out. Um, we also wanted to do a quick Bucks talk. Um, with a win on Tuesday, uh, they should uh, pretty much clinch the number one seed. We have to go to um, Brooklyn, I believe, on Thursday. Um, and then we have a game against OKC. Um, so we got a few games still uh, that we're going to need to win before we can really call ourselves the number one seeds, but uh, all right, I was wrong with the schedule too. We have the set, uh, the Sixers tomorrow, then the Nets, Hawks, and then Thunder to end of the season. Uh, Thunder at home. They actually have three straight to end the season. Um, shouldn't be much of an issue clinching the division. Um, excuse me, we already clinched the division, but the number one seed. But I don't know how important the number one seed really is. Um, I don't know. If Tyler feels the same way, I know we talked about it on a previous episode, but um, we've been bitten by the injury bug here, and that's something that I kind of intimated uh, might happen if we didn't take care of our players and give them the proper rest uh, between games. So definitely disappointing. Um, but we do have Tyler back now, so let's, uh, let's get his take on the injury bug that has the Bucks. Uh, the the Bucks are cursed. Is that a good take? Is that fair to say? Yeah, I mean that's kind of par for the course in our lifetime. Yeah, I, I don't think a lot of people realize how big of a loss it was uh, to have Nelson Brogdon go out the way he did. Um, it's something that's that's happened in back to back years, but he was really a a great uh, glue that held the team together, and then then Miritich, and then you know Gasol. He wasn't going to be used a lot, but at least he's a guy that was supposed to step in with all these injuries. 
Uh, Giannis, obviously, with his knee and ankle going on right now. Um, am I missing anybody else? Uh, the entire roster. The entire roster's got some nicked up problems going on. Uh, it was a valiant effort the other night uh, when they started Frazier and Wells and came within a lucky shot by the Hawks to, to steal that game from them. So that was cool. I like to see weird lineups like that now when we really don't need the starters logging in a lot of minutes. Obviously, you don't want them going in cold to the playoffs, but it's cool to get these reserve guys, or at least key reserve guys, uh, some some confidence in playing time. Um, so when their number is called in the playoffs, they'll be ready to go. Yeah, and really that's all that matters is the postseason, and that's why I don't know how concerned I am about the number one seed. It's really about how we keep how we feel when we get there. So um, I guess it doesn't matter to me. We're going to get the one seed. So there's no point in really talking about it. There's no way we lose our next four. Um, so, yeah, that's enough Bucks talk for me. The uh, main thing we wanted to get to today is uh, Milwaukee Brewer baseball. We had big plans for you folks last week, and I came down with a bug of my own. Couldn't make it out to opening day uh, where – uh, our co-host Tyler here was um, by the hot tub that you guys might have heard all about. Um, and the, uh, geez, just about every news source in the state and some across the nation uh, picked up our group of buddies tailgating with the hot tub in the back of the U-Haul truck in the Yount 5 lot or Yount 2 lot or whatever it might have been. Tyler, tell us about that. Uh, you, you haven't tailgated unless you've tailgated from a hot tub. I can tell you that from first-hand experience. So did you take a dip? Oh, yeah, absolutely. We ended up, um, well, to start the story off, this is all my buddy Dave's brainchild. Uh, he has a friend named John who has an inflatable hot tub and uh, rented a U-Haul and kept that U-Haul at another friend's place overnight while it was heating with the generator. Um, so <laughs> by the time we left, at about 6.30, 7 o'clock in the morning uh, from the guy's house. The temperature was up at 85. And uh, I just kind of followed Dave with some people as Dave drew, uh, drove the U-Haul truck um, to Miller Park where we waited in line and had a couple drinks. And all of a sudden, a radio guy came to us and asked us about the hot tub. Dave got himself an interview. He was our spokesperson the whole day. Um, he was a lot clearer earlier in the morning as the day went on. We had to make sure other people were talking too. But, you know, that got picked up, uh, got on Twitter, and then all of a sudden WISN12 heard about it. They found us because it's easy to find a U-Haul in a parking lot. And uh, did a little story on us. And the, the next morning we ended up on ABC World News. That was the, the only thing that they talked about baseball-related was us and that hot tub. So I'm expecting, I'm expecting us to pull something like this next year. Maybe two hot tubs. Maybe we'll have some women in the hot tubs. We don't know. We'll see what happens. I mean, that's not really what's important. What's important is that a hot tub was warm enough, and that you guys rocked out in a hot tub in the shadows of Miller Park. That's pretty incredible. I think next, uh, hopefully, we can have a, a late season, early winter run in uh, January up in Green Bay, maybe have some sort of Arctic 
hot tub tailgate. Although it'd be a lot, uh, we'd need probably five generators to keep that thing going. <laughs> well, I mean, Marty, we could, we have, we have the expertise that we know that could make sure that that thing would be kept warm. And if um, we challenge Dave to this, I'm sure he would figure it out. Nice. Well, uh, we can, you know, we got plenty of space up in Green Bay that we can uh, allow the U-Haul overnight. You know, um, we can let that run in one of our front yards for the sake of tailgate, you know. Absolutely. And if anybody out there would like to sponsor us, we can slap a big old sticker on that hot tub. Generators are not cheap. And U-Haul prices. Well, U-Haul, I guess, could be a sponsor. Hey, there you go. Nice. Might have 15 U-Haul trucks next uh, next opening day alone after people saw that with their own hot tubs. That's a good point. It's a whole new market that they need to hit. U-Haul uh, will take 15% of all hot tub transportation sales. And if you think of it this way, we're cleaning your your vans as well. You don't even need to clean them when you bring them back. That's true. You're right. Although you might want to throw an air freshener in there or something. <laughs> but, yeah, I was real disappointed. I actually uh, saw the WISN story go live, and they actually cut to the copter after you guys were live. And uh, the, whoever was in the copter was like, oh, we could actually see the U-Haul from up here. It uh, looks like you guys are in Yelp, too. <laughs> it was pretty silly. So uh, good work. We we got our we got our 15 minutes of fame and uh, it was it was definitely a lot of fun it was it was a good time. Marty, wish you could have joined us. Yeah, well, there's always next year, as they say. Uh, hopefully, next year we'll be saying World Series champions. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So let's start talking about the actual game. Uh, that was a doozy on Thursday. Man, what an exciting game! Lots of action, couple of dingers. Obviously, Lorenzo Cain's uh, home run robbery to simulate for the final out of the game. What a crazy play. And it's one of those deals, too, where he came down with that. I don't think any Brewer fan was surprised because they kind of – it was it was hit hard, and it looked like it might have been going over. But you could see Kane tracking that ball down. And the whole time I'm thinking, he's got this. Yeah, we've seen it before, you know, and not just with – with low cane, but we've been pretty fortunate to have some game-winning catches with um, Broxton and Carlos Gomez. Both of those guys have made game-winning catches, you know, that were the final out. Um, and now to low cane do that, it's, it's pretty wild that we've had that pretty much like once in every couple years, it seems like we've had game-winning catches that are home run robberies. Broxton was last year. Yep, yep. I remember Keon's. That man, that and Ken, I hope you're doing well over in New York, but we're going to miss you. But we've been lucky with some really good defensive center fielders, Manning Miller Park. I mean, yeah, it could have been Kane out there for more years than uh, what we've had him here. Ironically, he came back, and he's still playing at an all-star level. Yeah, we're pretty lucky to have him and happy to have him. And he just looks so happy out there, you know, just – and uh, on Sunday, that game winner when he scored, diving into home plate. And <laughs> a little belly flop that he had. He gets, yeah. uh, in the dugout afterwards, after the game, you can hear him saying, uh, the Brewers posted a video of uh, Kane saying, hey, next time hit it over the fence. But that's too much running for me. <laughs> I'm, I'm, too, I'm too old of a man to be running around the bases like that. Yeah, yeah. that was pretty good stuff. Yeah, um, this, uh, this whole first 
series it had a lot of great memories. I mean, you brought that one up with Yelich's walk-off. Obviously, Yelich had a home run in every every game in the first four games, every game at home. I mean, he was one of eight people to ever do that. I, I don't know was, the number, but yeah, not many. Not many. I think it was under ten. And and we we haven't even talked about talked about Hater's immaculate inning yet, where he threw all fat. There was one foul ball, and the rest were whiffs or called strikes. That's that's unbelievable. On top of what an immaculate inning is. Yeah, it was a really exciting opening weekend in Milwaukee, and uh, we've won three straight now against uh, against the Reds, and heading home now to face the Cubs for three, starting um, starting this Friday at Miller Park. But we really had some performances that kind of gone under the radar, too. I mean, we're not talking about Corbin Burns yet. And he had a game as a starter. Um, was that on Monday? Corbin Burns is Sunday. Sunday. Sunday, Sunday yeah. Yep. Sunday's game um, when the, the Brewers had that comeback win. Corbin Burns was untouchable when he was throwing that gas. And then, obviously, he was barreled up a couple of times. Uh, I think he gave up four runs. Four runs total. I think it was three homers. Yeah. Giving up. He's going to get touched up when you throw that many volume pitches. You know, like, I don't think he's – I mean, obviously it was his first career start, so he's never thrown that many pitches in the game before. You know, he's still figuring it out. He can pepper the strike zone with some of those floaters a little bit more when you're only pitching one inning. You know, now that he's going five, a couple more of those are going to be exposed. So you can't get lucky on every single one of them. But I mean, he struck out 12, I believe, and was just – I mean, he, at one point, he had retired nine consecutive via the strikeout to start the game. I mean, he had nine strikeouts consecutively. He was lights out coming out of the door. And then today we had Freddie Peralta punch out 11. Uh, he went eight innings, gave up two hits. One of those hits was in the eighth inning. Uh, the important thing about Peralta and Corbin Burns' outings, Peralta today, like Marty just said, uh, he didn't walk a single batter. And if you look at Peralta's start on Friday last week, he was all over the place, walking batters left and right. I don't think he went through a, a clean inning, and he was out before the fourth. Today, he was pounding the strike zone um, with his deceptive fastball. He did. He did throw of, of the pitches he threw. I think he threw his fastball about eighty percent of the time. I think it's seventy-five, eighty percent of the time, and then mixed in some really nice curveballs. But he was pounding the strike zone, and he was fooling them, and he didn't walk a single batter, and that's a great thing. Same with Burns. He might have given up a couple home runs, and that's something you can fix. But he was electric with his twelve strikeouts, and only one batter. These are great things to see from young pitchers going forward. Yeah, I'm super excited about uh, what he's been able to do in such a short time. Um, I mean, Carlton, obviously we remember his career first start in Colorado last year where he punched out 13 and on Mother's Day, and it was super exciting. Everyone loved to see it. Um, you know, I, I know that we are putting a lot of stock in our young pitchers and we really needed them to 
precarious or we do need them precarious this year given our I mean lack of depth really at starting pitching. Um this is a glimpse of what we might be seeing for the next few years. That's what's great about it too. I mean these these guys are still uh, Peralta's a kid, he's twenty two. Burns and Woodruff are 25 or younger, so they're going to be under team control for a long time. And if, if these three guys, if they all pan out, that's great. But if Burns and Peralta, say, for example, can pitch like they did in the last two games uh, with that kind of stuff, they could be borderline aces in the future for next to nothing. And isn't that what we want? You know, we want to see these homegrown guys, which we, you know, as Brewer fans, we can laugh at some of the names that we've been excited about over the years. I mean, we had guys like, you know, Ben Sheets and Giovanni Gallardo, who both, I mean, Sheets definitely panned out. He was very good. Gallardo had his injury prone. Yeah, very injury prone. But, you know, now we're you know going back to guys with Jeff D'Amico and Nick <laughs> Nugabauer, you know. And, yeah. I mean, these guys were our next big thing, and they yeah. never were. They just never were. Now we have three guys. Homegrown in our rotation, we got a hater homegrown in the in the pen, and no one's even asking if he's going to be a starter anymore. Remember when that was a thing? I had so many Facebook wars last year trying to explain to people why Hater needs to be in the pen because of the weapon that he is. And I hope Jefferson's back and dominates like he did last year because I and we can talk about this later too. I don't think Hater serves. He shouldn't be our closer. Right now, it's a necessity, and it's great that he can go out there and lock it down. He has been absolutely lights out this year. He just had a save again yesterday. But I love Hader for those two innings or that inning when Council knows it's two, three, four, five hitters coming up, and we can throw Hader in there and lock it down. That is what Hader brings to the table, where I'm not saying it's automatic, but, man, it is when he is on, he is almost impossible to touch up. Yeah. I mean, some of those guys, uh, I mean, Jose Martinez on opening day, all you had to do is touch the ball, make it, you know, in fair territory, that thing has a chance to go out just because of pure velocity. But, I mean, right now, he's definitely the best reliever in baseball. Um, Yeah. I mean, uh, sort of. I, can't, I really yeah, can't. I'm, think really, I'm, I'm drawing a blank right now. I mean, there, there are some. I mean, Diaz from uh, the Mets, he's pretty light. Sure. All right. Edwin Diaz, maybe. Just, he, the, the, he's got the save numbers. Yeah. Uh, Aroldo Chapman, he, he's always been good, but he's always kind of hurt the way through the year. And those guys are closers. And I think what Hader does, and like I said before, what he brings to the table. Is that that weapon that that ace up your sleeve, where you can kind of deploy him at the most important time of the game, and he's usually going to come through for you. Right, and we haven't heard anything about Hader being in the starting rotation since you know probably July of last year. No, and and we won't anymore. I think this this pretty much locks up that conversation. I hate to say everybody that thought that he was going to be a starter someday. We're wrong. <laughs> you know, it could change. You know, maybe next year out of necessity, 
or maybe we have, I don't know, some other crazy bullpen arm come up. You know, maybe they end up like coming out in, in a year or a couple of years from now. Who knows? But as Tyler's saying, it's a commodity coming out of the bullpen. He can pitch more than one every five days. He pitched, I mean, he's made four or three or four appearances already. Yeah, I think he has four saves. So four saves already in seven games. If he was a starter, he'd have made two starts right now. Exactly. He can impact more games at a higher level and higher leverage innings. And you know, let Burns and Woodruff and Peralta, Davies and Chassin do the rest of the lifting and the, to get those early outs. Um, kind of all over the place here with this segment, but just a lot of Brewers notes to get to. Uh, we were talking about Corbin Burns. Um, one of his statistics here it actually led baseball through the open weekend with uh, the highest percentage of swinging strikes. So um, he threw a 42.5% of his strikes. Um, they were swinging. So 42% of the time when people were swinging the bat, they were missing. That's dirty. The next closest was 5% below that with uh, J.A. Happ. He's at 37%. So, Burns, I mean, far and above everyone else. No one else is even in 40%. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's almost flip a coin and you're untouchable kind of thing. I mean, even if a batter can't, they know that they can't get a bat on the, the ball to put it in play, at least they're going to fight something off. And I think that's the reason why you did strike out. The first nine outs that he got were all strikeouts because just they couldn't touch him. Yeah, he was unhittable, man. It was a lot of fun. I shouldn't say unhittable. They obviously did square up on him. But when he was on, they weren't making contact. So it was a lot of fun and just a lot of a lot of fun watching these young arms kind of pulling it together. I was unfortunately at the game on uh, Friday when Peralta got touched up and just confined the strike zone. But that's the only game we've lost this year. Maybe you should stop going to games for a little bit. Yeah, well – not gonna happen <laughs> but yeah then obviously we barely even touched on uh former mvp christian yelich who has pretty much been exactly where he left off last year in september i mean he had four home runs in the first four games he had two doubles in the last two games in the ninth inning in both games that have resulted in one run victories i think today he was hitless um, so pretty everybody was pretty much hitless today. Yeah, no, Luis Castillo was really good. He was dealing today for the Reds, and man, he's a good young talent. Hopefully, they somehow screw him up and send him off somewhere. <laughs> he's real good. Yeah. That, that changeup is just really tough. I mean, he's throwing like 95, 96 mile an hour fastballs, and they throw an 80 mile an hour changeup. Yeah, he was, he was painting today too it was it was a pleasure i was at work but i got to get most of the game so it was a pleasure actually watching him and peralta duel it out uh two two young uh, young pitchers uh, with some promise and i don't know if it was a thing where they kind of took advantage of a, a day game after a night game uh usually you're not going to have your best hitters out there uh, uh the routine got messed up a little bit but uh yeah, it was it was definitely a, a great pitcher's school day. Uh, back to Yelich, 
Uh, I like how Marty pointed out, yeah, the four home runs is great to start the year. But if you look at last night, where we had to get something going uh, in the in the eighth inning, and it was the ninth inning, I believe it was the ninth, and, and he eligibles up, and what does he do? Uh, hit the double. You know, he, he gets on base, and then what happens next? Braun hits him in. And he's been doing that sort of thing his whole career, walking now, whether it's coming up at big moments or just getting on base. Right now, his on base percentage in 2019 is at 536. So if you flip a coin, Christian Yelich was on first base. He, he had a steal today because he drew a walk. He put himself in position to score a run. And I think if you look at like the basics of baseball or the basics of sabermetrics, you want players that get on base. If you've got players that get on base, you're more than likely to score runs. Especially when you got boppers like, you know, Ryan Braun and Jesus Aguilar and Mushroom Yeah, absolutely. I think, I think what I love about this lineup, and we haven't really talked about that either, our offense, it's so much better six through eight than last year. Um, you know, I, I think what they've done right now is a combina- combination of Mustakis and, and Grandal at the six and seven spot. RC has been struggling a little bit, but he had a home run last night that helped win them the game. Huge hit. Huge hit. It was, a, it was a big moment for that kid to come through. But remember last year, it was first five batters go up and then take a nap or do something else until, you know, <laughs> the, the first hitter in the lineup came back up because nothing happened after that. This year it's a little bit different. Um, uh, pitchers have to work throughout most of the most of the lineup, and I, and I like to see that. Yeah, coming from two guys who were growing up watching the Brewers in the you know, mid to late 90s, early 1000s, Seeing this lineup is a dream come true. I mean, you would have never thought that the Brewers would have a lineup like this unless you were drafting the rosters for like MLB 2005 on Wii or something. <laughs> you know, like you really didn't have, we, we didn't ever have a lineup like this that was like, I mean, this is a video game level good lineup. And, you know, coming up where, you know, I would go to Kelsey Stadium as a kid, and we'd hope to see Greg Vaughn's three at bats, maybe four if you know Jeremy Burnett's could be on there. You know, we just had a bunch <laughs> of birds out there, and nothing against Jeremy Burnett's. You know, he was probably a pretty decent ball player, but the fact that he was our only good ball player for years, you know, is okay. Marty, would Jeremy Burnett start on this team? <laughs> no. Would Jeff Jenkins start on this team? Mm, probably not. All right, and rest my case. Yeah, and then, you know, and then we had the early thousands where we had Richie Sexton and Carlos Lee, and I remember being excited about having Carlos Lee. Yeah, you know, yeah, it was nice having a good player. And now we had a full, like, a roster full of like bona fide stars. I mean, Mustakis is one ring. He, you know, has been there, and everyone knows who Mike Mustakis is, pretty much. Um, I mean, Yelich. MVP, Braun, former MVP. Grandal, top five hitting catcher in the league. Um, he's 
And that's the thing too. People look at the stats like the stock and Grandel. Yeah, they're they're 250, 260, maybe in a lucky year, 270 batting average hitters. But they're going to give you 25 to 35 bombs, especially at Miller Park. And Mustakis has been making good contact so far this year, man. He had a tough out today, a line drive straight to uh, Votto in the ninth inning. Oh, oh yes, yeah, yeah, too. yeah, exactly. They're they're hitting the ball well, and they're they're primed to drive and run. And man, it's it's not like these guys are your third and fourth hitters. These guys are at the end of your batting order, and and they're like the ultimate cleanup cleanup guys. And it it, it, it keeps you interested and intrigued that. That oh, there's still a chance that we can drive in some runs right now. Yeah, there's obviously a lot of games left. Uh, we're six and one. There's 155 more games to play. End the season now. Let's go to playoffs. I mean, I I would do it, but the lineup will probably change. There will probably be some injuries. There will be some moves that we're going to have to make, and things are constantly evolving over the course of the 162 days, but. If we can keep the majority of that intact, I mean, imagine facing that. Grandal's got World Series experience. Mustakis, like you said, he's played in the World Series and has won a ring. I mean, you think anyone's hungrier on the team than Ryan Braun? Oh man, I can't imagine. You're right, absolutely. I mean, and and most and the rest of the team has already been there. And then we, we got Mr. October ourselves into our SIA <laughs> just waiting to bust out when September and October come. So, yeah. No, it's great. And I think it's an interesting thing to think about, too. The only reason that Grendel and the stock is on the squad, uh, on a, well, there are plenty of reasons to draw them out, but these are guys that five years ago would have gotten five-year deals worth, 60, 70 million dollars, or probably even more. And the market's a little different right now, and it's working out in the small market team's favor. Uh, it's unheard of that a guy like Stockis, with his pedigree and what he brings to the table, got a one year, 10, 11 million dollar deal. Yeah, I don't want to say I feel bad for him, but he deserves more. He does. He really he does. absolutely. He was just born along the wrong timeline. Uh, if you look at players like Jason Hayward, Pablo Sandoval, Pablo Sandoval, I mean, geez, his contract was absurd. That contract wouldn't happen nowadays. And Moustakis is the same level player pretty much as Pablo. Pablo maybe was batting for a better average. I'm not looking at their numbers. Sure, and, but they're both, both World Series experience. Both had won a ring at the time. If Moustakis wasn't getting the Sandoval contract, I don't know on top of my fingers, but those around 80 million, I believe. I mean, it was big. I remember it was big. Yeah. And and, and Grandal, too. I mean, he got offered three years 60 for the Mets, but he, he liked Milwaukee and thought that if he can produce this year, he might go back in the market and get something else. And these are two guys that frankly wouldn't be on the Brewers five years ago because of the way the market is. And we're definitely, definitely benefiting from it. The Sandoval um, contract with the Red Sox was five years, 95 mil. And the, imagine a contract like that in Milwaukee. That would cripple us. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, yeah, I know some of you might be thinking, oh, well, Bryce Harper just got $300 million and, and Manny Machado just got $300 million. Yeah, but 
those are those are two prime stars. So we're we're talking about above average agents. I mean, we're looking at you know, players like Craig Kimbrell who hasn't gotten signed. Yeah, I mean, this is a topic for a whole episode. Yeah, or Dallas Keuchel, and and we might, you know what? We might pick up a Keuchel or a Kimbrell because of this market, and and it's it's great for the Brewers. Again, another topic, another time for baseball. But hey, let's let's ride it out, and hopefully we can steal a World Series by by taking advantage of the system. Exactly what I was just gonna say, man. You took the words right out of my mouth with stealing a World Series, dude. I mean. That's really what it would be. Like, wow, this one year, it just so happened that the Brewers could afford a super team and it worked out in their favor that these other teams were taking less money. And, you know, with the Canable and Jefferson series, maybe we end up with, with Kimbrell. And, God, that would be nasty. I can't even imagine our if we were able to, to sign Kimbrell and then move on. I mean, obviously, Canada's not coming back this year. He elected to get Tommy John and actually went under the knife today. Hope everything went well there. That's on his Instagram post. All smiles and spirits. Uh, yeah, hope a speedy recovery. Never a never a fun thing to do to go under the knife for any procedure. But hopefully that did go well. And, you know, in the meantime, it would be great if we could sign another healthy arm. And Man, I don't know. I'm really optimistic. Obviously, this start, 6-1 and one start is – reason to be pretty excited, but I mean, there have been a handful of times in my life that I can remember starting off a season this hot, and most of the time it didn't end very well. Last year was an exception to that, and uh, it seems like we just had such a good like chemistry and just a good uh, dugout, locker room. You know, these guys are friends. They're going for each other. And it's a lot of fun to watch. It just seems contagious and almost inevitable that we're going to be successful. Obviously, things can change. Yeah, injuries can happen and people get cold. But yeah, Marty's right, though. This is a it's been talked about a lot by the media and Craig Council, where this is a, a close knit group, and these guys are going to play for each other. They're going to play hard, and baseball is a long season. And if you don't like the guys that are or if there are certain cliques, you know, that don't talk to other people in the locker room, that can wear on you after a while. Um, add a little bit more pressure. But yeah, this 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 group is close knit. Uh, it's it's going to be tough for them not to succeed this year. Yeah, when Tyler was talking about the um, just the wear and tear of spending a season with the same guys, it reminded me of this book. Uh, Ball Four by Jim Bouton. I'm not sure if you've ever read that. It's a fantastic book. Uh, basically, this pitcher, uh, kind of a no-name veteran pitcher, Jim Bouton, uh, was pitching for the 1969 Seattle Pilots. And he basically just kept a diary of what was happening, you know, in his life and what was happening in the locker room and on the field. And, I mean, basically, it was first look inside of baseball that had ever really happened. You know, the, the public just, you know, they had ideas, but there's kind of the unspoken agreement from the journalists at the time and just didn't talk about what happened on the field. And then this guy, Luton, came around and wrote this book called Ball Four, and on the book itself, it says that it 
tore the cover off of baseball, you know, then it, it really did. It's talking about how all these guys were taking greenies, you know, all these fights that were taking place in the locker rooms and just these disagreements that happened and, you know, the disagreements between management and, pers- and the personnel and players and management. Man, it, it's really interesting. And we're pretty lucky to have the atmosphere of our locker room where these dudes are actually friends because you can definitely tell that in some locker rooms, everyone likes each other. So it's a really big thing. And obviously from a fan standpoint too, it's a lot of fun watching these guys root for one another. You know, CNRC at the end of the tournament every time when someone hits a home run, he's there to, you know, greet the guys with the hug at the end. You know, it's a good place. It's a good place to be. You know, everyone wants to cross home safely, and then you go and celebrate with your friends in the dugout. It's pretty awesome. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Definitely a good way to put it. You should check out that book. I think I have it. I'll let you borrow it. I appreciate that, man. I love me some baseball books. Yeah, did you read that one? I guess, um, it's called, like, oh, gosh, Big Data Baseball. Is it about pirates? Yeah. Yeah, I'm, like, a quarter of the way through. I can't think of a... The author's name right now. He writes for Fangraphs. Uh, Travis Sochet. It has to do with the the Pittsburgh Pirates and how. What's the manager's name? Uh, Clint Hurdle. Clint Hurdle. They had to figure out a way to. Kind of sounds like what Council is doing right now uh, with defensive shifts to kind of gain an edge on teams because the Pirates, their owner is notorious for not spending any money in the offseason whatsoever. Yeah. So in that book, it kind of details how this young numbers guy um, got hired as like the GM in, uh, in Pittsburgh. And I can't think of the name of the, the GM right now. Um, Neil Huntington or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and he's basically talking to Tim Hurdle as like, as, as the first thing that he did after he got hired was he like, went and talked to Clint Hurdle. was like, you're going to have to change your game. And Hurdle was like, all right, I guess I have to, you know. He's kind of figured Final out. year of his contract. And he's an old-school manager. Hurdle was a big-time prospect, but never really panned out kind of thing. And Hurdle's like, yeah, I, I guess I have to because uh, I'm out of the floor if something doesn't work. And basically, in this book, it outlines how the Tampa Bay Rays and the Brewers were really – Two of the first organizations to really plunge into the whole analytics thing as far as doing defensive shifts. Uh, a lot of that was because we had, you know, a Casey McGee at third base. And uh, gosh, I'm trying to remember who was the baseman at the time. I don't think it was Ricky. Probably Billy Hall or something. Maybe it was a Uniesco Betancourt, actually. Okay. And it was um, just talking about how, you know, we didn't have a very good defensive team, so we had to employ so that we could play the odds better. And, I mean, we went from 2010 having one of the worst defensive teams in baseball to the next season having one of the best defensive infields with the same guys. We just were employing chip. And this whole, this book, uh, Travis Sacek, has a couple tables in the book where he's breaking down, you know, all these outs that the Brewers were getting that other teams were not. And there was a reason why all these games is basically like, wins above replacement, but due to the shift. And it's super fascinating. And even though the book is about pirates, there's a lot of talk about the National League Central, obviously. It's super, super fascinating. Really good book. Yeah, I totally forgot that you gave me that book. 
I should probably give you that back. I got it from the Little Free Library, so just keep passing it along, man. All right, there we go. Yeah, I got to finish that up. I've been reading about uh, Keith Law's Smart Baseball. I'm just finishing that up. I've been reading that for about a year now. <laughs> but, you know, reading goes, you do chunks. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a great sabermetrics book that just delves into uh, different types of ways to actually measure uh, a player's performance and, and what he actually brings to the table beyond average or beyond pitchers' wins, you know, things like that. So it's it's a, a definitely a cool book, Keith Law, Smart Baseball. Uh, it's about a couple of years old, so it's not too dated. Definitely, definitely something to pick up if you are interested in reading about baseball. Yeah, it's one of my favorite things to do is to find a topic that I'm interested in and just really um, just surround myself with information about that one topic. You know, sometimes uh, I get really in-depth about a certain thing. I really love um, banh mi Vietnamese sandwiches. So really good. Have you ever had that? Don't sign me up. We get, you actually take me to the best sandwich yeah. place that you know. Uh, I'll take you when it's downtown Milwaukee. It's on Second uh, Street called Zonkia. Second and Wells. All right, all right. Um, right super good. Down. Anyway, though, I just really fell in love with the sandwich. I had it for the first time, and I wound up, you know, having it three times in the same week. You know, it was just one of those realizations that I really liked something. And so I decided I was going to up the history of the sandwich, how it came to be, why it exists, like how did these flavors combine there's cucumber and jalapeno and you know carrots and all this crazy crap on it that I would never regularly put on a sandwich. But when you combine it with the sweet and savory pork, it's the most delicious thing on the planet Earth. And that's what it's like calling baseball, man. Like every day, there's some new ingredient that's added to the sandwich, and I just need to know more about it. And there's all these websites now and Twitter. If you guys are baseball fans and you're on Twitter, get on it, man. There's just these nerds on there sharing these crazy statistics and it's really beautiful. <laughs> Coming from a nerd, uh, reading articles from Pangas just brings me such a joy. It's, yeah, I don't know. Marty, I know you're over there waxing but I'm looking up on me sandwich recipes as we speak. Oh, I'll send you my favorite recipe. Oh, please do. I actually like. I can't believe I, I like all these ingredients too. I think I might have to get one after the show. Uh, back to what you're talking about on Twitter, though. Um, didn't you see something back to baseball and Corbin Burns? His fastball wasn't his fastball. Um, his his spin rate. Oh yeah. Yeah, let's look that up. He had the highest recorded spin rate in the history of baseball. Now, why is um, why is spin rate important? Well, you should actually answer that because I don't really know. Um, I mean, obviously, the spin rate creates a little bit more movement. So, um, basically, if you have this fastball um, and it's rotating a little bit more than normal, it's going to have a little bit more movement tailing away or two, or, you know, however it might be for and whichever hand is throwing it. What, what they were, yeah, that's exactly right. What, what they were talking about too is a lot of his fastballs. If you've heard of the rising fastball or the batter thinks 
ball is rising. It's just a, it's an eye trick because you know batter only has 0.2 whatever seconds to decide what the pitch is, and then he's got to swing quickly after that. And if I sees the ball, and that spin rate brings the ball up. He's always going to swing under it. So for for Burns to have this ridiculous spin rate, which is something that Obviously, he's developed. You can't learn overnight. Uh, Martin, what was the spin rate compared to some of the best pitchers in Major League Baseball? All right. So, Corbin Burns' spin rate was averaging 2,913 2, rotations per minute. That's a record since that cast started, which was in um, Next closest was shared by Max Scherzer and Justin Verlander at 2,681. So I'm just going to say those numbers back and back. Corbin Burns, 2913. Max Scherzer, Justin Verlander, 2681. It's nearly 300. Well, 225. Yeah, he, he didn't just, like, just go graze over that. Like, he completely blew those numbers out of the water. And again, back to his strikeouts and his forty percent swing. I mean, that that's part of it too. And this kid, if, if he, he can bring that fastball every time, and if he can bring his plus slider every time, develop an average enough changeup, or I think he's got a curve in his arsenal. I forgot. Whatever it is, just have a third, third, fourth pitch or fourth pitch that's average enough to keep batters honest. Those two pitches are going to be plus-plus pitches, and we could see a lot more double-digit strikeouts with hopefully less home runs from Carbon Burns in the future. Yeah, I was really trying to snipe him in some of my uh, fantasy baseball leagues. Pick them up in one league. I'm with too many homers, so people uh, reached and got him out from under my grasp, but uh, pretty excited about the ceiling on these guys. I know we've kind of talked at nauseum about the potential of what this could mean, um, having three homegrown, you know, starting rotation. I mean, we could end up having Woody, Peralta, and Burns for, you know, three, four-plus years. I can't. I mean, holy cow. When's the last time that we had three pitchers in starting rotation for four years in the same rotation? Yeah, it's been a revolving door for a long time. And then when we thought we got a guy, like Chase Anderson, his, his brilliant 2017, and we signed him to a well, not a huge contract, but we, we extended him and thought that, oh, this guy's going to be good for a little bit. What is he doing now? He's, he's doing long relief in the Brewer's pen. Hopefully he figures it out. But, yeah, it's it's one of those things where we, we got these young kids that can kind of stabilize the rotation and then – if we have some money that we want to spend next offseason, the offseason after, if we want to make a trade and, and get an ace or a bona fide starting pitcher veteran kind of guy that will stabilize you, I, that's just, that just adds to your odds of, of winning a World Series. And really that's the only thing I care about. All I want to do is I want to go down Wisconsin Avenue and haunt my heart like a madman just windows down and hollering and giving people high fives as I parade up and down Wisconsin Avenue after a World Series birth and or victory. I was going to do it after 
she asked us here, we had a different outcome. Obviously, we'll be there. We can reserve it for this year. I think that's enough brewer talk. I don't know. You got anything else? Well, I mean, if you want, we can we can go back to the the Bonmi sandwich talk. Oh yeah, let's let's uh, I, we can do that. You want a Bonmi sandwich? Yeah, we can do that. So Bonmi sandwich uh, basically is a, a marriage of Vietnamese and French ingredients. So Vietnam was occupied in like I don't know what year it was. In. 1700s, maybe before that. Um, and it was occupied by French troops. And there was this traditional uh, way of like, cooking pork, and it was this seasoned, savory. Uh, it was like sweet. Yeah, I got a Vietnamese pork rub on my website right now. Uh, made from sugar, ginger, coriander, clove cinnamon, red pepper flakes, sesame, black pepper, and lemongrass. So they pretty much cook the, the pork with those ingredients. And it's like, it's almost like a gravy, but it's like this liquid sauce. Like an au jus. Yeah, sure, yeah. That's about it, yeah, au jus. It's just this, like, thick, but I don't know. Whatever. It's a sauce that goes on top of this pork. And then it's served with these um, on a French baguette with uh, jalapeno and cilantro, which is um, all Vietnamese pet flowers, carrots as well, daikon, that's all root vegetables, all stuff that I made for Vietnam. And then, um, you know, it's just served on this French baguette. And it was pretty much because of this occupation that this delicious sandwich can be, the two cultures kind of clashed and combined. And now it's all over. I mean, it's kind of the same thing. In Milwaukee, there's a, there's a restaurant called Bray's. It's down in Bayview, technically Walker's Point. And they do a, a deal every Tuesday, a beer meat bonnie, where it's 14 bucks. You get a local Wisconsin beer and a bonnie, $14 total. They have a vegan or a vegetarian one, and then also a meat one. Uh, and it's all farm to table, all fresh every single Tuesday. I've been there a few times. I go to the uh, used to be located in uh, Pacific Produce on Clayton. Um, they since have relocated downtown. It's just this pretty, like no frills kind of shop right downtown. It's like seven, eighty-eight bucks for a sandwich. Um, Ten bucks if you want a couple egg rolls and a soda, and it's a really good deal. It's basically a foot-long sub. Subway, but way, way better and about the same price. And honestly, I had one it was probably in 2015, maybe. It was the first time I had it. You're telling me about this now. Yeah, I'm sorry, dude. I don't know. I, I, didn't know. I thought I knew you. Yeah, I got this whole recipe. I'm now at home. I use brown sugar and um, like soy sauce and stuff for my sauce that I make. But, um, you know, there's a lot of different ingredients you can do. You can, I, I mean, I usually do it in like a crock pot. Also can use chicken. I mean, there's you know vegetarian options as well. Um, but yeah, dude, it's phenomenal. Let's definitely go to Zonkey soon. Maybe next episode, we'll have sandwiches to chomp on you know, during the show. I'm totally down with it. Yeah, it's super good. Actually, a couple of years ago, it's 
fell back together. Uh, there was actually a Zazmi brat that they were serving at a park ah. where they had the, the brat with all the seasonings on it, you know, the way that it should have been. I actually never had it. I was tempted to get it a few times, but I never did. Um, but yeah, you could have gotten it at a park if you really, really wanted it. Hungry. Yeah, I'm kind of hungry too. I'm actually looking up Miller Park concessions right now to see if they have it still or if they're doing anything different this year. I did see we did release a few products um, this year, but uh, nothing that really blew my mind. I feel like there's a Mexican street corn thing that sounded really good. Oh, I like that idea. Yeah, I think I saw that. Um, I don't know. You know the. Um, the Brewers.com blog is Kate, Caitlin Moyer. Oh my God. Mm-hmm. And she just did a blog about the new uh, concession items. I'm looking at it right now. It looks like they opened it up to a little more vegetarian and, um, and gluten-free option, which is cool. Uh, they got a, a mac and cheese here, a loaded mac and cheese. Um some waffles, chocolate on it. You know, you're essentially your pulled pork with barbecue, some loaded fries, which is always a always a staple. Um, right here we have an ice cream cone dipped in chocolate with some peppermint sprinkles on top. I'm a big fan of all of those things. Um, did not hit the concession stand uh, when... Did you hit the concession stand on Friday? You were still getting out of your box. You didn't want to try to try to, I, I didn't want to have some fries in your face. I'll tell you what, I did have. I shouldn't really be saying that I had the worst pretzel I've ever had. Oh. They were out of. <laughs> I asked my friends to grab me a pretzel and to, to, to go fill up their own. And uh, they were to to do that for me, which is really great. I got a third space, happy place, which is probably the best beer in the ballpark. That's a staple. That's in the summer. That's usually in the fridge. I love that beer. Yeah, it's really good beer. Third space, you do a good job over there. Thanks, third space, you can sponsor us too. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that beer is real good. Probably the best deal in the park. But uh, at that same time, I really tell the the third space. Uh, they also have soft pretzel. Uh, you know, I don't know what you call it. The little little glass case where they got the multiple just hang in there with the cheese and everything. Sure, sure. Well, these guys get up there. The only pretzels they have um, don't have salt, and they also have the nacho cheese. So they they still got me a pretzel. I'm happy to have any. Beer, but uh, it was the blandest, driest, most terrible pretzel. And I was actually like, how bad it was. And the, the whole section in front of dying and they were laughing so hard. I mean, it was bad. Well, that's the thing. Usually, you know, those pretzels aren't going to be, you know, they're not just baked, they're not plump and moist or anything. So, yeah, but they're going to be like dry. Exactly. So, what you're, or, or Vontra or something like right. that. You guys can. 
But that's what you need the cheese for. That cheese is going to give you a little bit of that moisture to help you up. Right, or something. Or something. At the same time, the same token, you didn't have the salt on there to even make up for that. No, it was bad. Dude. Just an awful experience. Yeah, it was, it was bad. It was pretty fun. It was definitely the least enjoyable pretzel I'd ever uh, It's tough to mess a pretzel up, too. Is it still Delaware North? I will say though, this our uh, first baseline, uh, first baseline at most part at the 200 level. Uh, it's probably outside of like two, I'll say 210, maybe 212 or something like that. It's right between like space and play, maybe at the first base. Um, there's these two sisters that work on this stand, and they're amazing. They remember us from, you know, I mean, I guess. Um, but these two ladies are just super friendly. They're maybe not the fastest, mm-hmm. but uh, I wait there an extra minute just so I can have my interact with these two women. Customer service is important. It really is. Like, I mean, listen to me. I just, I just said I'm going to wait in line longer. I don't feel I've ever said that before with anything. So if you ever go, I don't actually know, which is a shame. I'll come back because weeks while they're the names for you guys. But uh third space, uh gosh, what else do they have? They have like the line and cooler tab, it's just like a little small uh, beer cooler second right in the middle of the of the two hundred level first baseline. I think you can go on the third baseline but, uh, uh, they did carry uh, good the model good city for I don't think bit. I don't not I didn't know. Okay. All right. Yeah, I didn't see it in there because I usually would split between the model or, or the third to keep the beers local. Um, I didn't see. I didn't see the good city this year. Well, the superior one went out anyway. So. I'll concur. Gotta get some uh, black husky juice in there. Sure. <laughs> It'd actually be dangerous. A little higher ABV. For that one. Yeah, exactly. They want to deter people from getting uh, smoke hammered at the Brewer game. Although that tends to happen with a lot of people. Yeah, it's inevitable. I I did hear a uh, story from somebody that uh, one of the Brewer fans day was sleeping in the bathroom. Yeah, he uh, his, his shorts were by his ankles. Still on, thank God. But it looks like he attempted to go to the bathroom. Hopefully he accomplished his goal. But after he was done or before he attempted, he decided that um, leaning up against the corner of the wall was the best idea so he could rest his eyes for a little bit. I hope he made it home safe. That's why Uber (laughs) Uber can also stop. Um, But just real quick before we go, um, there was a article that came out today, or I should say that came out today, between Rob Demosky and the SPN Wisconsin and uh, former Packer head coach McCarthy, in which McCarthy said that um, the firing couldn't have been handled any worse and that basically he felt insulted editorializing that. Essentially, if you he's saying that he felt, you know, 
like they did him wrong. Uh, like the Packers just kind of disrespected him on his way out the door. And uh, I, I mean, I think I probably have to agree with, with Mike. It's not like there was a door, excuse me, there was a long line at the door of Justin uh, LaFleur. What's her name? Is that it? Matt LaFleur. Matt LaFleur, yeah. I don't even know if Matt LaFleur, and uh, I don't even know his name. So, you know, there was a huge line of, of uh, NFL GMs beating it down, trying to hire him. Maybe I'm off. But, um, you know, I, I, we probably could have worked until the end of the regular season. Um, we did get our guy. Really all that matters. Sorry for delaying for Coach McCarthy. All of this conversation um, just made me think about McCarthy's tenure as a Packers coach, and we were really lucky to have him. There's nothing but classy, won a lot of games, and he's the top 25 coach in the NFL. He's the most winning coach in the Packers history, which in my and probably everyone's on the planet of opinion. The greatest franchise. Well, he won a Super Bowl, and uh, he just seemed like a good guy. This is kind of a bummer that he got pushed out. Uh, what's your take? Controversy. The, the biggest thing, I, my biggest complaint about McCarthy would be the fact that he always grew up with a beard in the playoffs or in the preseason, and they would shave it right when the regular <laughs> season started. Um, he, he gained a little bit of weight through his tenure, so I figured like I, I covered up the a little bit, so I, I thought it was a good look for him. But uh, beyond that, yeah, you're right. He he, he kind of got the shaft. I mean, I think 24th most winningest coach in NFL history. Yeah, you look at the goals, but he had one, and there are a lot of teams in the last decade. Where Super Bowls of Patriots one that don't have Super Bowls. Um, it's tough to win a Super Bowl, and we might not be talking about this if one of the greatest comebacks in NFL history didn't happen in an NFC Championship game. You might have got a little concerned on that, but holy shit, a lot of things had to happen the Seattle Seahawks play for that to happen, for for that to go down. And um, yeah, it's it's unfortunate. I mean, he was with Aaron Rodgers for 13 years, and even Mike Holmgren's. With with Brett Favre, he, he was with Favre for half that amount of time, and they thought it heads. It's just that's the uh, it's a blessing and a curse to have to coach a Hall of Fame quarterback. And, and I just don't think he gets enough credit because he is tied to Aaron Rodgers. But who's the guy that developed Aaron Rodgers? Who, who's the guy that you can't you can't just tell me Aaron was just going to be the same player if he went to San Francisco in that situation with five different offensive coordinators and none of them really knowing half as much football as Mike McCarthy does. So it's, it's a shame it went down that way. Definitely check out Rob Moski's article. It is on our Facebook page. Uh, it touches on a lot of cool things, life after football with McCarthy, uh, what he's been doing to prep to become a coach again. Um, his his answer to um, Mosky bringing up the fact that that Aaron was publicly against play calling and things like that. 
Um, obviously, what Marty talked about too, um, what his take was on his firing. Uh, it's it, it's a really good article, and you know it's one of those things too where I feel like yeah he had a lot of haters and a lot of people made jokes when he left and were were, were happy to see him But in five years, if, if Mike McCarthy was on at halftime, I guarantee you every single Packer fan at Lambeau Field would give him a standing ovation as he walked out. Yeah, that's a 100% fact. And I'm um, alluding to a principal code. You're going to throw a poll up there this week um, asking whether you think Mike McCarthy deserves a trophy outside, or excuse me, a statue, a statue outside of when, uh, you know, there's, there's two of them for sure with Lambeau and Lombardi. And maybe McCarthy should be a third. We'd love to get your take on it. We're going to throw that up on our Facebook sometime later this week. Uh, maybe tonight. We'll see. But um, let us know what you thought. I, right now, I say yes. But I don't know. That might be the emotion talking. Because uh, <laughs> his article came out. But I don't know. He obviously comes a lot. I already went with Blades, uh, professionally, so I don't know. I I would say no. Reggie doesn't have a, a statue out there. Favre doesn't. I mean, who's to say those guys? Well, those guys should for sure. I think those guys should have them before this. If McCarthy would have won before Well, yeah. And this is a question that, like I said before, in five years, I think more people would say yes in five years. In five years, than they would now. Um. We also look at Hornball and Lombardi. Both those guys, you know, considered pioneers. I'm not sure McCarthy is looked at the same way. He didn't really revolutionize the game or anything. I don't think there's going to be any trophies after McCarthy. Uh, at least not outside of Green Bay um, for the time being. So, I don't know. It's a fascinating I actually saw someone posted on Twitter, um, you know, something like, McCarthy deserves a statue outside of Lambeau, and it got me thinking. Deserve one? I never even gave it a thought. So, thanks, anonymous tweets. I don't remember who it was. That's <laughs> oh, a good, it's a good spark for a debate, though. Yeah. I'd like to definitely like to hear anybody that says a hundred percent yes on it. Marty, you say yes, you're favoring a little bit. Yeah, I mean, like I said, I reason that those two other guys had their statues outside is, you know, for different reasons. You know, McCarthy's already got this great thing after him. That's kind of what happens when you win a Super Bowl in Green Bay. Um, the trophy, or the statue of Green doesn't have much. Um, he won the Super Bowl. Went to two. Went to more than McCarthy ever did. His street's much bigger than um, than Mike McCarthy way, though. Yeah, no, Hunger is fast for the boot. Metropolis of Estrella, Wisconsin. <laughs> so. But yeah, I think that's it for uh, episode nine of Beer Brots and Booyah. Thank you guys for listening. And always uh, like to give a plug for the fuel that we uh, were consuming for this episode. Uh, we had some Hacienda Brewing Company, which is on a daily sort of Wisconsin. That was their new England style IPA every day, eventually. Um, it's a pretty good beard. I've been until this evening.
a it's a double dry hop citrus pale, which is which is really good actually. I'm a big fan of this one. I know Hacienda reminded me they will be coming into North Avenue. Yeah, in North the, Avenue and Farwell. Yes, the old BBC, which um, BBC is dear to my heart. Yeah, it, he, uh, he daddy's BBC covers and I definitely spent an hour there in days with the burger hell dollar burger. I actually still do miss that. I love that place so much. I, I hope Hacienda can live up to what they left off. But I just hope they're bathroom. <laughs> oh man, that's a whole nother podcast. <laughs> we should do a fun East Side podcast. East Side podcast bar. Oh man, we wouldn't make it in five minutes. Yeah, well, we can't be drinking this beer. We'd have to stick to Pilsners and Pale Ale. Yeah, well, not well. Right, they're not double dark. Right, so we'll, for sure. We'll drink some PBI at Axel's uh, by the table. So. Sounds good. And then we can pull by Scafidi's after. See, that's what we're talking about. So, all right. Thank you guys so much for listening to episode nine. We're going to start doing some more fun stuff. We're going to do some uh, live episodes where we're going to be recording, recording from the uh, Miller Park parking lot. And um, we'll be hopefully interviewing some folks who are turning their rocks on their grills and cracking some beers. So, um, well, we're yeah, dipping in some hot. Or dipping in hot. So check us out on Facebook. Check us out at Supper Club Sports. We're also on Twitter at Trump Table Water. It's actually on your Twitter page. He's doing a heck of a job. Check us out on there at Supper Club Sports. Um, really appreciate y'all. We'll be back next week.